right. Well, one's different tonight. You got a you got a sermon sheet. What's up with that? Well, I thought since this was really it really is the last third of last week's message, I'm half, so I kind of beefed it up with some other scriptures um, for us. But you know, we talked last week about a very important thing about unfollowing. It's a real again fits right in with baccalaureate. The reason, you know, there's a lot of those kids there that who would tell you they're Christians, but, but a lot of them don't come to back of the Lord because they're starting to unfollow. I told you how that when kids go off from our, from our a youth program, not sorry, a youth program from the average church, that 70% of them decide, I'm going to stay out of church. And 70% of them walk away from regular church attendance. Some of them go off to college with some kind of a commitment to try to go, but they get there and they go, wait a minute, no one believes like me. No one's patting me on the back going, we're glad you're going to church. And so it's awful easy just to walk away, to, to unfollow, to unfollow. And again, I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about just, just unfollowing from a relationship, a close fellowship with Jesus Christ. 70% of them do. And the sad part is some of them come back and some of them do not. Some of them come back after one or two or three years. Some of them never, never, never come back. So it's really important that we know how not to unfollow. And, and as I shared last week, and if you caught it last week, I shared with you this. That often it happens to, to later adults. It happens I, I if there's a life change, if, if, a, um, if, a, if a spouse dies, if the children all leave home and you're empty, empty nest syndrome. Um, when your life cycle, when your life circumstances and cycles start to change. A lot of people walk away from God. They walk away from regular fellowship with God and a local body of believers. It just happens. We see it all the time. Um, I, I shared something the other night in a different context. I'll share with you. Here's what I've observed over the last years, well, 30 years of pastoring now, 31 years. That is this, that when you choose to come to a church and you start participating, you may come because you like the preaching, you like the music, you, like, you have friends here. Um, it's something different. You've had a, you know, you've had a, a, a circumstance in life that all of a sudden made you look at God. You've got just about six months to make some sort of decision, whether it be coming forward and joining a church, whether it be coming forward trusting Christ as Savior, whether it comes forward making uh, a rededication of your life, um, whether you decide in your brain I'm going to get a part of a small group. You've got just about six months, and after six months. So many of them go ahead and walk. The music gets old. The preaching gets old. Um, the small group's not what they thought. Someone disappoints them, and they walk, and they walk. So it's really important that, that we take active steps helping people um, not to unfollow Jesus. So, so how do you unfollow? How do you not unfollow? There you go. How do you not unfollow? That's what we want to talk about tonight. But here's something I want you to realize is that really following Jesus... Following Jesus is not a consumer thing. In other words, you don't follow Jesus really for what you get in return. That's what we've been taught in our Western culture, that becoming a Christian, uh, that following Jesus, what, how does it benefit me? Again, I remember the article that Randy Davis wrote in our church newsletter or the Saline County newsletter when he was our director of missions. He said, you know, and we've all done this. Uh, all, all those pastors have. We go, uh, people visit our church, and we go to their house, and we spend 30 minutes telling them how we're the best church in town, and we got the best music, and we got the best youth program, the best kids program, and we can do this for them, and do this for them, and do this for them, trying to sell them on the idea that we're the best church, you need to come join our church. Well, that's what country clubs do. Let me tell you about the membership benefits. Randy said that day, and I, to, I still agree to this day. Rather than going to visit a church family and saying, or a prospective family, and telling them, well, this is what we can do for you, look in the eye and say, and what do you bring to the table to our church? We need more people willing to come to church 
Not to be served, but to serve. Not to be served, but to serve. And here's what I want you to know. Salvation is free. Now, you're going to have to turn from your sins. That's called repentance. You're going to make a commitment to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And it's not a crisis commitment. It's not six months and down the road you say, nah. When you truly are saved, when you're truly born again, you, know, you experience, God, experience God's grace. You ter- generally turn from your sin. And you make a, commit- a commitment to follow Jesus Christ. And that's free because Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Amen? But listen, eventually, eventually it's going to cost you to follow Jesus. Following Jesus, if you truly are a Christ follower, it's going to cost you something. It may cost you promotion. It may cost you a job. It may cost you friends. It may cost you status. It may cost you prestige. It may cost you embarrassment. I don't know. But somewhere down the road, when you really choose to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you. And so you need to enter that mentality. I didn't come to follow Jesus as a consumer. I came to serve him and to follow him out of love and devotion. So Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2. If you want to pull that sermon sheet out, it's got the extra scriptures on there. In Colossians chapter 2, he gives us some really key thoughts for not unfollowing Jesus Christ. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus turned to his disciples and said, If anyone desires to come after me, if anyone desires to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So Jesus said, I invite you to follow me. But I want you to understand that it comes at a cost. So what can we do not to unfollow? Well, this is really good. What I did, I broke a deal in the sermon sheet. I broke it up and then I put a supplemental scripture there that really nails down some of the dangers we need to watch out for or some encouragement that we need to bring to the table. All right, the first one is this. Just, just a couple words. Um, in Colossians chapter 2, he starts out by saying, be careful. Be careful. Now, something we don't really understand, uh, if you've gone on a mission trip to Africa particularly, but I think Haiti would definitely qualify. To some degree, Nicaragua would qualify. But if you've been to some of the real third world cultures, you understand something. Satan is alive and well. That's a good place for an amen. In our culture, we don't believe, you never hear sermons on demon possession, um, demon oppression. You never, you really hardly think much about evil. I mean, come on guys. They, they hijack airplanes and throw them into, and fly them into buildings, killing 3,000 people. That is nothing but pure evil. A guy lines girls up against a school wall and shoots them and kills them. That's just not bad stuff. That is evil. There is a satanic influence in America that we've got to once again wake up and understand that it's there. And demon possession is a real thing in Africa. And demon possession is a real thing right here in America. Demon oppression... Uh, the, the oppressive power of demons is a real thing in Africa, and demon op- the, uh, oppression is a real thing right here in America. So we really got to come to grips that Satan is alive and well, and we need to be equipped to deal with that. We've got to quit approaching church and following Jesus with such a lightness of hand. Again, fostered by uh, I'm here to be served, not to serve mentality. So a perfect scripture, obviously, is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Again, you'll see this on your sheet if you've got it there. Peter writes and says these words. Be serious. Be alert. 
Your adversary, notice that, your adversary, say adversary with me, your adversary, your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone he can devour. So Satan is real, and he is still very active looking for people he can devour. Now, lost people, he obviously wants to keep them lost. That's what he's all about. But what you don't understand is he wants to make you, he wants to negate any power that you have with God. He wants to negate the power that you have with God. You know, several months ago, I about learned that there's nothing new under the sun, just like the Bible says. But, but several months ago, and perhaps even a year or two ago, there really was a thought. I was watching National Geographic. I watch a lot of nature programs and travel programs. And we talked about the two times that a, a roaring lion will roar. What a lion does when he roars. What is he proclaiming when he roars? Now, again, if you've ever watched, you know, you've ever watched the nature programs? All right, yeah. The lion will prowl, you know, prowl down, get on his all fours, an inch forward in the tall grass, and suddenly he will spring. So if he's seeking to attack in the conventional a way to get food, he is stealth. He is stealth. There are two times that a lion roars, and both of them, I think, really scripturally apply. The first thing is this. A lion will roar, just like where he says this, your adversary the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, okay? A lion will roar when he is declaring his territory. Now, I want you to understand something. Again, Satan is a very powerful being. But compared to our God, he's not. Okay? But compared to you, you are nothing more than a mouthful to him. If you try to take on the devil in, in your power, you're going to lose. If you take him on the power of Christ, you're going to win. So Satan goes about and he declares through his roaring. Do you not hear the roaring today? Do you not hear the news media roaring out the power of Satan wherever you go? He's roaring out declaring, this is my land. This is my territory. I am here to claim it. He, he proclaims that even though it's not true. And people believe it. That's the sad part. People believe it. So lions roar when they declare their territory. I'm telling you this. Last time I checked, the earth is still the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Last time I checked, Jesus still said in Matthew 28, all authority, all power has been given to me. And I still say this, that, that when Jesus has all power, Satan has none. The only power Satan has is when Jesus and his sovereignty and understanding and wisdom grants a little power to Satan. I love to illustrate it this way. You get the biggest, meanest dog you can think of. And you got that chain around his neck. And that dog don't make a move unless you let the chain slip. Calvary is a perfect example. Listen, God was not out of control on Calvary. He knew exactly what he was doing that day. And he let Satan have a little bit of his way to accomplish what? His purposes. God's purposes. That's what Calvary was all about. So Satan roars. He's roaring today. But he's not the winner. He's not all powerful. He's a defeated foe. The second time that a lion will roar is during mating season. A lion will roar to call the females, I am the alpha male. Come join me. I'm the alpha male. Come join me. And again, we hear the roaring of the lion today. It's through materialism. It's through the, the sports god. 
Um, it's through all the different things that society offers today. Sexual, my goodness, the sexual allurement of society is crazy. It's crazy. And he's roaring. And he's calling Christians. Come on, does it, does it sound just a little bit familiar? Did God really say you couldn't? I mean, come on, come on. Come on. Your friends do it. Some deacons do it. Your Sunday school teacher does it. Surely God wants you to be happy. And the roaring line is being listened to by Christian after Christian after Christian who allows open sin to exist in their life under the pretext that surely God understands. I'll give you a clue. He doesn't. He died that we could be victorious over sin. He died that we could have the victory. Not that we could live in defeat. Amen? I mean, it's, it's huge, guys. It's huge. So he says, be careful. Your adversary is like a roaring lion declaring his territory, desiring to bring you into his pride, looking for anyone he can devour. He doesn't do it by eating. He does it by conquering, by dominating. Resist him. Resist him, Peter says. And be firm in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Yes, life is going to be hard. If you choose to, to stay following, if you refuse to unfollow, there's going to be sufferings. Mark it down. There's going to be sufferings. But understand this. It's not something unique to you. It's, it's, it's ununique to the fact that it happens to all the body of Christ. All around this world, uh, believers today are suffering for the cause of Christ. It's new to us because we lived in a quote, and I'm putting this in quote for you, Christian culture for so many years. But now, all of a sudden, it's no longer profitable to be a, a Christian. It's becoming unprofitable. And so a lot of people are walking away from it. A lot of people are saying, well, you know, I'm going to unfollow. It's just not, it doesn't pay like it used to pay. So, but know this, that there are Christians around the world who are willing to pay with their lives to keep following Jesus Christ. So be careful of the deception as he roars. Don't buy into his message. And remember this, he wants you to doubt God. I mean, that was really, that was what, that's what the garden was all about. God is holding back, Eve, God is holding something good from you. God's holding back on you. Uh, if God really loved you, he would want you to have this because if he's such a good God, he would want you to have this. And that kind of ties in this morning's message. Uh, God, don't you really want to be happy? And God, if you really love me, wouldn't you do this for me? And he gets you to doubt the goodness of God. He gets you to doubt uh, who God is. So be careful, be careful of deception, deceptive voice of a roaring lion. Be careful of the doubt that the roaring lion can cast. So be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Be on your alert. Be sober. Be serious about it. Be vigilant. Have your eyes open. Bruce called me the other day. I was driving to Carbondale. And by the way, there's a really good movie out. I need to throw an advertisement. Mom's Night Out, put out by the same guys who made uh, Courageous and Fireproof. But it's a Christian comedy. It's awesome. And plus, it's got a lot of good God in it, too. So you really love that. So I'm driving down the road. The phone rings, and it's Bruce. And Bruce says, Dwayne, I really want you to pray. And I said, okay, I'm driving down the road. I'm going to pray with my eyes open. You did know, did you know you could do that? Yeah. Bruce says, I hope that you will. <laughs> so I kept my eyes open so I could see the danger of the road, even though, listen, as you journey through this life, keep your eyes open. Because your adversary, the devil... Like a roaring lion is walking about saying, who can he devour? Amen? Then Paul says this in Colossians. That no one takes you 
captive. That's such a, a wonderful scripture. It's a powerful scripture. Again, once again, think of the lion making his declaration, wanting to bring you into his pride, wanting once again to bring you into captivity. Now, the scripture I chose to supplement that was 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23 through 26. Here's what we read. Now, listen carefully. Two parts of this are hugely powerful. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Half of the things that we fuss about at church do not matter. I mean, it's a shame. It's really a shame, David, to us as a church that there was ever a term called worship wars. When we had fights about whether we should sing hymns or praise courses. Worship wars. If that's an oxymoron, I do not know what is. It's a shame that ever happened. It's a shame we even discuss what translation, as long as it's a biblical translation of the Word of God. Really, really... Satan is using division to keep us from winning the world to Jesus Christ. I shared with someone this week that any church that is a gospel preaching church that is centristic in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we should be able to work with to win this world. Do we have to agree on all the minor doctrines? No, and we won't. I had a brother tell me this week, I don't agree with everything you say. I said, that's good because I don't agree with you either. Just being honest. But here's the deal. What's the central core? The centristic gospel of power of Jesus Christ. That is the power. That's the one thing we can agree on. A lot of us people will be church hunting if we just agree on that. I mean, again, some people like a pastor who stands behind the pulpit and reads, you know, speaks softly. Some prefer someone a little more animated, a little bit loud. Some prefer long. Does it really matter as long as the gospel is being preached? That's what really, really matters. So, so avoid, he says, avoid. And this is Paul, the Apostle Paul. Avoid these foolish and ignorant disputes. Uh, all they do is they generate strife. And every time we strive, we have energy that's not being used to win the world of Jesus Christ. It's just the truth. Now, again, Timothy was a preacher. But I like the fact that the Holman Christian Standard uses the word servant. Because really all of us can take this part to heart. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, and in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. In other words, there's a way to correct in humility. If God perhaps will grant them repentance. Now watch this. Here's the other part. So that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Is he talking believers or unbelievers? Believers. Talking to believers. So it's very important that we, one, we be very careful that we do not become captive of Satan. And two, and two, that when we see someone held captive, we do our best to set them free. Let me look at 2 Corinthians and chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. Uh, yeah. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, are not fleshly, but mighty to God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So we are not to be ones who are taken captive. We are to be the one who sets the captive free. We bring our thought life... Uh, our, our theology, if you will, into captivity with, with Christ. Every thought taken captive, controlled by Jesus Christ. And then when we see others overtaken, we're there to help them. Like, let's see if I do a halfway decent job of quoting Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, and a couple of them. If you see your brother overtaken in a thought, you know what the word overtaken means? 
ambushed. See, a lot of Christians literally are ambushed. Now, some are blatant in their sin, but some are ambushed. If you see a brother overtaken in a thought, you who are spiritual seek to restore, bring back such a one uh, as, you, as you can with, with a spirit of meekness, with humility, so that you too will not be overtaken. So what's our job when we see people are taken captive? Should we gossip about them? Should we chuck rocks at them? Now, you know what we're supposed to do? Go help them set them free. Go set them free. Help them in humility. Not from a high point, not brow, uh, looking down your brow at them. But in humility, going to them and saying, Brother, sister, I love you. Can I help you? I love you. Can I help you? So, so he says, be careful that no one takes you captive. Be careful of that. Be careful. And, and, and the way you're not taken captive is that you take your thoughts into captivity. You bring your thoughts, you bring your thought process into captivity. And when you see someone who's captive, you work to set them free. How does that happen? How, how, how do they, people get taken captive? Well, here's what it says in verse uh, Colossians 2, the third part of verse 8. Through philosophy, which philosophy, there's a couple of things. Philosophy is the love of wisdom, and there's nothing wrong with the love of wisdom. But the problem comes in when you fall in love with worldly wisdom and you don't fall in love with godly wisdom. You get that? Okay? And wisdom, philosophy, and wisdom will shape your worldview. Now, again, once again this morning, I thought something very significant. I did my very best to stay laser-focused this morning for time. But one of the things I thought was very, very important this morning is families are in trouble today because we have turned to culture to take our clues and not God. Elkanah, the husband, ended up with two wives and a broken family because he did things the way the world does it and not the way God does it. Rather than trusting God for a son, which eventually would have come in Samuel, he did his own thing. Kind of like a guy named Abraham. Like a guy named Abraham. So, so he says, be careful that you'll help take captive by a worldview. And a worldview is how you see culture. A worldview that is secular. And empty deceit based on human tradition. Be careful that you don't become more obedient to tradition than you do the Word of God. Be careful that you don't do things because we've always done it, but do what the Word of God tells us to do. And we could chase that rabbit a long way, won't do it. But make sure that you follow the Word of God and not necessarily what we've always done. Empty to see based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world. In other words, the, the base things of the world. I'm not sure if this ties or not, but I think it does. Because to me, the base things of the world is their crazy view of creation. That's just one of the things. So, again, I told you I like nature series. You know, I like nature things, and I like um, travel. And so I bought this thing. Staples had it on sale. And it was a series that was on the Discovery Channel called Life. And it's got the most incredible photography you'll ever see in it. The only thing that caused me a little bit of pause was that it was narrated by that deep theologian, Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> if you get what I'm talking about. But anyway, so several times, there are two things, there are two reoccurring themes, in case you buy this, or want to borrow mine. One is global warming. Two is evolution. So she's talking, and 
she's talking about fish. And then I think there's a fish that crawls up on the land. There's several that do that, actually. And she says something like this. All life generated, all, I'm sorry, all mammals generated 275 million years ago when fish adapted from water to land and then we all evolved from this fish, the fish that turned into eventually into mammals. And I'm going, okay, now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. Oprah, you're not that old. I know you weren't here 275 million years ago. Nor was any human being. In fact, there's not one iota of documented human history or history going back 275 million years. And you're asking me to deny the precious word of God that stood the test of time for at least 4,000 years on some scientist's word that something happened 275 million years ago? Do I look stupid? See, they, they want to say Christians are the stupid ones, but we're to blindly take the opinion of a scientist that says, well, don't you know, 275 million years ago, you crawled up out of the sea and ta-da, here you are. Two words, hogwash. Again, I've got faith, but I don't have that much faith. I'm sorry, I don't have faith to believe that I came from a fish one day that decided to crawl up on the shore and become a man. I'm sorry. That takes way too much faith. If you don't mind, I'm going to stick with Creator God. I'm going to stick with a book that's proven itself. I'm going to stick with a God who's proven itself. Now, if you've got a problem with that, I'm sure there's a church in town who will identify right with your theology. It just won't be this one. So... Don't, don't buy into the philosophy. Don't, don't buy into the seat. Don't base, buy into the base elements. Again, take it home. There's a young man sitting here. I don't know if you heard the message that day about unfollowing. When you go to college, your professor may be smarter than you, but he's not necessarily more right than you. Just because your professor says it at school, or at the high school, I guess, just because they, they may be smarter than you, but they're not necessarily more right than you. Remember that. And by the way, that's true of your boss at work, it's true of the president of the company. It may not be more right than you. He goes on and says this. Make sure that you, you deny the philosophy, the empty deceit, the elemental forces, because it's not based on Christ. Listen, if it's not based on Jesus, don't buy it. You do understand that when you go to New York City, and they've got $5 Rolex watches. They really aren't. I don't blow y'all's mind. They're really not Rolexes. And when you go down and they offer to sell you a one carat diamond for $15, they got a really good deal. They're really lying. Whatever the world sells, if it doesn't line up with Jesus, don't buy it. A faith will never conquer the real deal. Oh, come on. That's a good place for an amen. And by the way, what's the biggest fake? Religion. Religion. Don't mix up religion and Jesus. It's not the same. It's not the same. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul gives us, this is my supplemental scripture there, he gives us that real foundation. Look what he says. And look on your sheet or in your Bible. According to the grace of God, how powerful is that? To the grace of God, which has given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed now. In other words, listen, pay attention. 
Pay attention how you build. Each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay other than what which is laid, and that is Christ Jesus. It is Jesus, folks. If it, no matter what a person says, if he discounts the, the sacrificial death, the atonement uh, of Jesus Christ, his virgin birth, who he was as son of God, if he undermines that in any way, walk away. Walk away. All right, then verse number 9 of Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And all God's people said, it does. You know, he's not a God wannabe. He's not part God. He's not part human and part God. I'll say this. He was 100% man, 100% God. But he wasn't part human and part God. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, Jesus Christ is God. And that's the problem people have. It's a problem they're going to have to wrestle with because the truth is the truth. You know, John writes this in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of God. So Jesus is God. Now, here's what you got to do. Get out your spiritual hammer. Get out your spiritual nail. And nail that to your heart. Because the moment you start doubting anything about Jesus, about him, in fact, he, well, really, was he God? Was he really virgin born? Did he really, you know, was he really dead? Or was he like in a comatose? The moment you start undermining what you believe about Jesus Christ, you've begun to unfollow. Jesus Christ is the cog. Jesus Christ is the kingpin to the whole thing. We must never undermine what we believe about Jesus Christ. And lastly, this. And you have been filled by Him. You have been placed under the control of Him as believers. You are under the authority of Him. By the way, as under the authority, you've been given His power. And you have been filled with Him who is the head over every ruler and every, every authority. Verse number 10. In other words, this. Jesus is King. Jesus is King. And it's our high privilege as believers in Jesus Christ to follow the King. Now, Jesus is not King among many kings. Jesus is the, or God is in God among many other gods. Unless you go, well, materialism, that's a God. and Baal, But they were God wannabes. I mean, God is God. And Jesus is the king. And what I'm trying to tell you is, is that if he is the king, then everybody else is king one of these. And you don't want to spend your life, in case you're contemplating unfollowing, do you really want to follow a king one of these? I mean, aren't, aren't you glad? Ken, aren't you glad that you weren't on the Japanese army instead of the U.S. Navy? Imagine if Ken, Ken fought one of our two, and Ben, you're the other one. Both of them Navy boys, how about that? And imagine if they were in the Japanese Navy instead of the American Navy. They'd be on the losing team. Amen? Aren't you glad you're in the U.S. Navy? Aren't you glad you're in the U.S. Navy? Amen. Amen. You don't want to, you don't want to compromise and go to the losing team when you've been given the opportunity to be on the winning team. And that's King Jesus. So before you... This was kind of the closing thought last week. 
before you unfollow, be sure and ask that question. You know, Jesus said, are you going to leave too? In John chapter 6, are you going to leave too? And Peter said, where will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And we've come to believe that you are the promised one, the Messiah. So before you unfollow, before you make sure the person you talk to, you're going to help. No, don't, don't go with a high brow, but you want to help someone who's in captivity and they're maybe going to unfollow. Ask them this. So who are you going to follow? Because everybody follows somebody. So if you're not going to follow Jesus, the king, the winner, who are you going to follow? And that really narrows it down. Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why would I go from following the king to following a king wannabe? Yeah, it costs to follow Jesus. I promise you. If it hasn't yet, it will. It costs to follow Jesus. But what a small price to pay for the one who paid it all. To give the one who paid it all. And what a small price to spend eternity in a place called heaven worshiping him. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray. Well, Father, thank you very much for speaking, I believe, loudly tonight into our hearts and lives. Father, as I was teaching this tonight, it gripped me. It gripped me. Father, I pray that I will be aware and that we will be aware of the desire for Satan to take us captive. To, to pull us from following Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray against that tonight. Father, I pray that we'll be remain devoted followers of Jesus. May we commit ourselves to you and to you alone. Thanks, God, for the high calling and the high privilege of following the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, I think this message should challenge us tonight. So, Father, we will have a time of invitation. Someone here could even discover that they need to turn from their sin and experience God's grace. Father, I know of a couple tonight who wants to unite with our church. We celebrate that. Father, perhaps there's an area of our life that is blatantly unsurrendered, and we need to surrender it tonight. Help us, God, not to waste this opportunity just because it's Sunday night. Help us to do exactly what you want us to do. And thank you, Father, for this time. And Jesus, I pray in your name. Amen.